He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney. He is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day! Saturday, June 17, 2023, our troubadour Dave Gunders with his song Set the Tone from his troubadour album, He Comes Along, but the star of the show, Rhonda Fields, Rhonda Fields, who I've known for decades now, she is stellar. What a great interview she gives to me right before she went to see Kamala Harris She's a big deal. So is Joe Biden. President Biden is doing a great job for a guy in some cognitive decline. I watched that speech in Connecticut, and he was great. Yeah, you said God saved the queen at the end, and he asked, which way do I go? But he was on top of it. Right-wing media likes to make fun of Joe Biden, and as we heard Mike Rothschild who knows about QAnon, that's part of it. Make Biden to be a demented fool. But he's not. He's smart. And you know how I know? I listened to him yesterday. He talked about how his wife and children try to get to him with inspirational quotes on the bathroom mirror. That way they know he will look at them every morning. They know I have to shave in the morning. (laughs) So they'll tape on the mirror for real. So I could see when I was shaving. One day she left me a quote from Immanuel Kant, who wrote that finding happiness and peace of mind when it seems impossible can be done. He said, you need something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Something to do was to fulfill the promise I made to my son Bone, to my family, and your families, and you've made too that I would not retreat from public life and the sadness that I felt afterwards, that I'd stay engaged to solve problems. Someone to love, my family, my kids, my grandkids, and something to hope for. All of you survivors and advocates have built real movement with something to hope for, something to hope for, that your collective trauma and injuries are not going to be in vain That your friend, your family member, your loved one did not die in vain. That by acting in their memory, you can prevent the next tragedy. You can save life. You can save families. In the process, you can continue to save the country. I play that quote because that describes Rhonda Fields, what happened to her. June 20, 2005, her beloved son, Javad Marshall Fields, his fiancée, Vivian Wolf, gunned down. Idaho and Dayton, unincorporated Arapahoe County. I got the call. They heard me on the radio. They knew me as an ex-prosecutor. They were pissed. Rhonda's described it on other shows. I told that family they would need the Aurora police as their allies to find out who killed Javad and Vivian. And Gretchen Fronapple was great detective, figured it out, tremendous prosecutions, death penalties, 
Well, you will hear the rest of this story if you don't know it already. But let's get back to President Joe Biden, because this guy has good values and experience. He's the guy who got it done with the assault weapon ban. 1994, this is when I was prosecutor. And it worked for 10 years, it worked. And why did we get rid of it? Because of the gun industry. It's terrible. We have a scourge of fentanyl. And when we complain, hey, Mexico, you can't let this go through our borders. It's killing us. They say, what about your guns? Your guns are coming into Mexico and killing our people. And both countries have a point. You know what I get when I, we're talking about the fentanyl at the border and all that? I speak with the president of Mexico. Will you stop sending guns to us? We are sending dangerous weapons, particularly assault weapons, to Mexico. To Mexico. They're asking us, please stop it. Cut it off at the border. What in God's name are we becoming if we don't do this? Look, ladies and gentlemen, for those who say they're concerned about crime, you can't deal with crime without dealing with gun violence. It's a simple proposition. <laughs> Remember, for a long time in America, car accidents were the leading killing of children. This was mentioned earlier. Then in 2020, guns became the number one killer of children in America. Guns. More than car accidents, more than cancer. Let me say that again. We can't let that just become another statistic. Guns, the number one killer of children in the United States of America? Folks, it's time once again that we banned AR-15 rifle style rifles. High-capacity magazines. They're not only a weapon of war, they're the single biggest driver of profits for the gun industry. That's why they're selling them. Profit, 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 the single biggest. As I said, we did it once before in 94, and 10 years after that, the ban was mass shootings went down significantly, the number of mass shootings. That's when the ban expired, mass shootings tripled. But let the ban on assault weapons, high-capacity magazines come back into vogue. Look, I find it outrageous that of all the industries in America, and by the way, I've been doing this a long time. I, I know I don't look that old, I know. <laughs> I'm a little under 103. <laughs> but all kidding aside, I thought, I mean, I'm going to say something outrageous. I was a pretty powerful senator. I pretty now managed some of the biggest committees, judiciary, foreign policy, etc. But I didn't know 10 years ago. I didn't know that their gun manufacturers immune from liability. I didn't know that. Gun manufacturers. Just imagine how many more people would be dead if the tobacco industry the tobacco industry is immune from liability. You couldn't sue the tobacco industry. I'm, I'm, I'm being deadly earnest. Think about the number of people who would be dead today that are alive because we could sue them and they paid billions of dollars for, their, for, for the damage they were doing. 
Well, ladies, we need to end immunity for gun manufacturers. You got to hold them accountable. Now that's president in control speaking with facts and figures and good arguments that Donald Trump can never muster. All he says is America's in decline, buy more guns. He was deranged the other day when he went to Miami, had to turn himself in, get arraigned. Then he went to a Cuban restaurant, Versailles. That's what they call it down there. They had some guy with a yarmulke on. I don't think he's much of a Jewish guy, but it was a faith rally, whatever. Donald Trump said, food's on me, but he didn't pay for anything. And then he flies to Bedminster and he gives his speech to a fundraiser. The guy fundraisers off of getting arrested. Is this what we've come to, America? But wow, what he said. I'll play you part of it. I know a lot of people don't like to hear Trump, me included, but he confesses all the time. And he confesses here to what I think he's part of, which is a psych op against America, led by Russia. And he's always saying that Russia involvement in his election was a hoax. No, it wasn't. The Senate found that there were substantial efforts by Russia. Putin admitted it in Helsinki. They wanted Trump to win. The only issue is what degree of proven collusion was there. But there's no doubt that Russia really did try to have Trump win. And they really want him to win now because that means they won the war in Ukraine. This guy's a nut. and he, uh, I'm talking about Donald Trump, but he calls other people's nuts and lunatics. And he attacks prosecutors. You can't have that in our system. He creates dangers to Jack Smith, to Bonnie Willis, to Alvin Bragg to Tish James, to the prosecutors with the temerity and the talent to take him on, especially Jack Smith. And he tries to say Jack Smith was trembling when he spoke. I watched that speech. We talked about it last week. He might have started off not with the strength that he finished with. He gave a great speech. And he probably hasn't been in that format before, but Donald Trump wants to belittle him and call him a thug and that he was trembling. No, he wasn't. Trump's the guy who's really trembling. It's Major Kelly, or General Kelly, who was the chief of staff, who told the Washington Post that Donald Trump is scared shitless. And the guy who's scaring him shitless is Jack Smith, who's not afraid of anybody. Here's Donald Trump expressing his fears. After Donald Trump, you'll hear Rhonda Fields talking about her feelings toward Donald Trump, her incredible career in Colorado's legislature, how she's term-limited now. We talk about the possibility of her running for Aurora mayor. But sadly, she knows a lot about gun violence through her own personal experience, and she's turned that into action, just like Joe Biden discussed in Connecticut on Friday. Earlier in the week, here's our former president once again revealing a lot. Whatever he accuses others of doing, it really is him looking in the mirror and confessing. But what he's done to my family, what they have done to my family is 
horrible. He also tried to railroad John Edwards on a completely bogus legal theory that didn't hold up in court. It's no wonder this raging lunatic was shipped off to The Hague to prosecute war criminals using globalist tribunals, not beholden to the Constitution or the rule of law. Two things Jack Smith clearly disdained. You take a look at this guy. He looks like a thug. But then I watched him make a speech the other day, and he was trembling because it wasn't his territory. He feels much safer in the inner sanctums of the Department of Injustice where he can be in his room and scream at people. He's a raging and uncontrolled Trump hater, as is his wife, who also happened to be the producer of that Michelle Obama puff piece. Total puff piece. This is the guy I've got. Don't forget this persecution is being done by the same weaponized agencies that for seven years have been running illegal psychological warfare campaigns against the American people, much as if they were trying to destabilize a foreign country. From the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax to the no collusion Mueller witch hunt to impeachment hoax number one, impeachment hoax number two, the 51 lying intelligence officers, how about them? They said it's Russia disinformation, and they knew it wasn't, which made about, according to some of the great posters that are right here, made from anywhere from a 10 to 17 point difference, and yet we've still got more votes than any sitting president in history in the second election. And we actually did much better in the second election than we did in the first election. Thanks for putting up with me playing a little bit of former President Donald Trump. He gives his daily deposition either on his Truth Social or with an interview or a speech, and this is going to make the job of the prosecutors easier. I wish people with microphones, especially the lawyers, would speak up against Donald Trump. It's a steady drumbeat of mine, but with what I've pointed out today and on prior shows, it's not a tough call. If you are an officer of the court, Speak up. Speak out. You can't have a rule of law with guys like Trump acting like this and getting away with it. Rhonda Fields knows that. She knows all about the criminal justice system. Her interview next after that, great discussion with Dave Gunders. We talk about the Nuggets Parade, Nuggets Mania, talk about the death of Daniel Ellsberg, whole lot more, his great song, Set the tone. This is a wonderful show. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bacon. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> 
Now, part of that was serious and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday. And if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblawllc.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, instead of a knucklehead, who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Gosh, this is an honor and a privilege and a pleasure because Rhonda Fields is my friend, I've been her attorney on a couple of occasions through the decades. I uh, just think the world of her. She's one of the strongest, most resilient, accomplished people I know. Rhonda, thanks for being part of episode 153, not just part of it. You are the show. Welcome. Wow. Well, thank you for those kind words and that nice introduction. It is all the truth. We do go back a a long way. And you're still my attorney. So if I need you, I'll be calling you. Beautiful. And the other day I said, come on, let's go to the Nuggets parade. But you said, nah, I think you could have (laughs) probably ridden on one of those fire trucks being a dignitary and all of that. You know, I saw some folks, um, some of my colleagues on those trucks. And I thought, yeah, I should have been there, but I was in committee. Well, good for you. I was riding my bike around. Oh, my goodness. I parked about 6th and Penn, and then I uh, got my bike out, and it was a mob scene. Beautiful day in Denver, marred, of course, by gun violence. But let's talk about happy things, like the Nuggets. Yes. I can't be more elated and happy for our city and for our state and for the Nuggets My son was a huge Nuggets fan, and I recall taking him to the games and doing whatever I could because he loved basketball. He played for Smoky Hill, and they went all the way to the finals. So uh, we love basketball in our family. What about Maisha and her children? Did they have Nuggets love? Yeah, you know, they like all sports. I have a granddaughter that's active in uh, volleyball, one in track. Uh, Their dad is a a, a former uh, CSU football player. And so there's a lot of sports TV on, a lot of watching games together. It's just a part of our family sports is. I know, Ken. Greg was a great athlete, still is. Yes. But let's talk about other great people who are a part of your lives. Like this afternoon, we're taping uh, early afternoon because you have to get going to meet with who exactly? I am going to be meeting with the vice president of the United States, Vice President Harris. Is she coming over to the house? Can I come over too? No, 
she's not coming over to the house. I wish she would. I wish I would have a one-on-one with her. But I'm going to be surrounded with other people who've been invited to um, listen to some remarks that she might have. I know that she's already in Colorado, and she's having some public events and doing some things around town. And I heard on the news that she's going to be leaving here, traveling, I believe, to California. Yes, that makes sense. We're kind of a stopover country, but I like her. You know, she was a prosecutor, and we're going to get into all of that. But let's get back to you, because I knew you before you had any kind of political career, and I think before you had any kind of political ambition. And then uh, you have since then, since the tragedy that occurred when Jabad was and Vivian were shot dead, Dayton and Idaho— June 20, that horrible anniversary coming up. I mean, I I, I saw you then. You were a veteran, uh, top-level person at United Airlines. And this rocked your world. And, oh, my gosh, then you, I don't remember. You tell this story. You became a state rep, and now you're a state senator. Are you term-limited yet? It seems like you've been. I am. I am. I won my election in. November of 2010, started serving in uh, 2011. Um, at the time, it was uh, Hickenlooper, who was the governor and uh, served in the House for six years and then went over to the Senate. And I'll be term limited at the end of the 2024 legislative session. So um, counting all that up, that would be about 14 years of service. I know, but let's talk about what's next, because you are at your zenith. Why give it up now? There are other political jobs. You live in Aurora. You are Aurora. How about about mayor of Aurora? That's an interesting idea. Yeah. I haven't thought about that one. Well, you should, and they have a referendum, isn't it, to make it a strong form of city government? I'm no expert on this, but I was telling my son, son, In some cities like Denver, you're kind of like the president if you're mayor. And in other cities like Aurora, you don't have much power because they've given it to a city manager. In Aurora, they're trying to give it to the mayor now, or some people think it's a good idea. What about you? I'm going to start calling you Senator Aurora. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I'll claim Aurora and Arapahoe any day. But um, yeah, I um, understand that they are petitioning to to get the change of the charter in uh, Aurora to make the mayor a stronger mayor, which gives him much more authority versus it being in the hands of the city manager. And there's other changes in in the, the charter or in this ballot measure as well. I have not had a chance to weigh in on it. I'm still trying to find out a little bit more who's behind um, putting together this measure. The uh, Aurora mayor hasn't said that he's behind it. So I'd like to understand the motivations behind it and get much more transparency about this initiative and how uh, it might have an impact on all of us. So I'm still trying to get those answers. You are the right person. You know how to build coalitions. That's what Aurora needs. It also needs to crack down on guns. And that is your raison d'etre. And I love you for that too. But let's talk about a guy who did get elected mayor, of the powerful mayor government in Denver. I think you know him, Mike Johnston. Tell everybody how you know the guy, how you think he'll do, and 
why it might be a good example for Mayor Fields in Aurora? <laughs> oh, well, I'll speak on uh, the new mayor-elect, uh, Michael um, Mike Johnston. I had the uh, opportunity to serve with him when I was in the House and he was in the Senate. And all bills that start in the House have to have a sponsor in the Senate. And he was someone, uh, Senator Johnson, someone that I could trust to to get the bill passed in the Senate. We passed a bill that talked about, this is way before we had Senate Bill 217 on police reform. We passed a bill dealing with um, metrics and uh, data collection as relates to um, people who are stopped by policing to make sure that we have the right demographics, to, that we could have the evidence that we could show if there was bias exists. That bill is now in law, and we now have much more data as it relates to the demographics of who's getting shot, their ethnicity, what they were charged with, and the out, and then the outcome of the, those charges, which would be the sentencing outcome. And those are the other bills. He's been an advocate and a champion for um, for education. So a lot of my bills that I was sponsoring in education. Um, of course, I would send him over those bills over to him as well as Senator Uliberry, and there was others. But I knew him as someone that really cared. And if you're gonna be involved in politics, you really gotta care about the people. You have to understand the issues and you have to be able to tag those issues to solutions. And he's been able to do that over time. He came on my podcast uh, twice. And he is so obviously brilliant. I mean, he kind of says, uh, shucks, but to get to those Ivy League schools and excel, I think he's really bright. I think we're at the dawn of some revolutionary technology changes that will collect data, the kind of thing you just talked about, so that we can uh, separate truth from fiction. Because a lot of yes. fiction gets told, sometimes by the police. You've been part of holding them accountable. You've seen it from all sides, Rhonda Fields. Uh, what about Mike Johnston, the person? I'm impressed that Morgan Carroll, another prior guest, people who worked with him, they trust him. The very thing you are talking about, I mean, it's not just all about smarts. Do you think he has the makeup to be a great mayor because Denver could sure use it? Yeah, I see him as being a, a visionary a leader, someone that's very tactical. He's a family man. Um, he has a, a wife and children. And when you bring that perspective as a family, we all know what it takes to raise a family. And so, you know, that experience is going to sh shape and, and play out in how he um, runs the city. So all of those kinds of things are important. He has a legislative background. He's done some um, bold policy positions that have passed uh, statewide measures. So he has the policy piece. I think he has the people piece. I think he has the intellectual capability and the emotional intelligence to get the work done. But that's all will be seen, you know, once he takes over the reins and he becomes the actual mayor, we'll just have to always look at the work he has ahead of him and, and, and help him along the way and be supportive along the way. How do you think he is on guns? I mean, he yeah. came in for a little criticism, I think toward the end of the mayoral race, but he comes from, you know, Eagle County, Colorado. And mm -hmm. I, I think he understands 
some things that maybe I don't growing up in Denver all my life. Um, but where is he on guns, in your opinion? Yeah, you know, I, I've seen him be a, a strong champion for public safety on all levels. So he's not going to be one that's going to shy away and shrink away from addressing the issues of guns. I've heard some of his um, uh, approaches to guns. It, it might be, you know, increasing some of the wait periods, uh, those kinds of things. But I, I think I've heard him speak on guns. So I don't think there's a, a guessing game in reference to what his opinion or his belief is. I think he's going to make sure that whatever is done is within the Constitution and making sure that nothing, no one's rights are violated. But it's going to also to make sure that we're protecting our kids so that they're not fearful when they're going into schools or, or walking down the street or for any safe place that we have in our community. I, I, I think he would support zero tolerance that we shouldn't have people having access to guns when they shouldn't have them. And I've seen him speak on those kinds of things. Right. He can't do it alone. And we're going to get around oh. and about to that with Beth McCann, who's a friend of yours as well, friend of yes. mine. I've known her longer than you. Anyway, but uh, you served with her. And yes, we'll get around to it. But I want to stick with the last legislative session. Yes. Um, do you think you guys did a good job? You have so much power there. We did a phenomenal job. We delivered for the state of Colorado on so many levels. Specifically, we addressed some of the needs as it relates to housing, our climate, our air, uh, education. We increased funding for our schools. Um, we addressed violence, gun violence. We passed five measures to address access to guns. Um, we addressed housing and uh, over, what, 600 bills were introduced. I think about maybe 350 were passed. Most of the legislation that was passed was bipartisan, which means that it, it took, uh, it includes some Republican votes and some Democratic votes. And we got it done. And that takes collaborations. That takes working in that sandbox together to making sure that we're doing what's best for the state of Colorado. On the gun issue, a lot of people, including me, favor an assault weapon ban. I had John Morris, former Senator John Morris, on my show. He said, yeah, I got recalled over it, but I stand by it 100%. Why can't you guys ban assault weapons in Colorado the way they are banned in Denver, Colorado? I want to ban assault weapons. I don't think that they have a place in our nation, specifically in Colorado and on the streets and the roads that I travel. They just don't have they just don't have a place to have that rapid fire and trigger that has the ability to kill people in seconds and minutes, rounds and rounds of bullets. So I am in favor. I support um, an assault weapon ban. However, um, it, it, it has to go through a process. We had a, a bill that I thought was a strong bill, but it never made it out of the committee. And that's the way it works. So we're just going to have to try and, um, and bring it back next year and see if we can get it out of the committee and see if we can get it on the floor of the whole entire House or the Senate and then on to the governor's desk. It just didn't make it cross the finish line this session, but I'm hopeful Um there's been bills that I've sponsored that they just didn't happen the first time out. And so um, we'll see. 
I think it's still possible, and I'm working on making sure that it's not only possible, but that it's doable and that we get that work done. Now, I've never served in any legislature, but it seems to me that if Jared Polis wanted that kind of bill, it would have been on his desk uh, months ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I've known you to take on governors of your own party in the past, uh, the the people who perpetrated the, uh, you know, the the awful murder of Javon and Vivian, they got the death penalty. John Hickenlooper led the charge to get rid of it, and Jared Polis completed it, not without some help from George Brockler, who didn't get a death penalty on the Aurora Theater Massacre, also in your district. But I'm just saying, back to Jared Polis, you don't have to join in. That's just me. Here's something that you know a lot more about than I do, especially since you are going to be mayor of Aurora. I mean, I, I try no, to I try to true. keep I'm not up running for mayor. <laughs> I try to keep up with what's going on, and and I saw a road rage at Idaho, yes. Idaho and Havana. I mean, Idaho. I think about Javad and Vivian right up mm-hmm. this street, just to the east. A 48 year old guy shot dead by some teenagers in a road rage incident. And mm-hmm. uh, then there's one on I-25. There's one uh, at the Nugget Celebration, another one at the parade the other day. I mean, it's wrecking our community. I could go on. But the crime you know about that I've tried to follow a little bit, this 14-year-old in Aurora who had a pellet gun and then got shot dead, what's going on there? Well, I'm really troubled by the amount of violence and and crime that I'm seeing uh, in my community. It's just very, very disturbing, especially when you consider road rage. I mean, anyone can be driving anywhere and then something can happen innocently. Maybe you're driving too slow and then the thought of somebody pulling out a gun and just shooting you because of something just by driving is just... It's just hard to get my head around that. And we're seeing more and more guns used in uh, road rage kind of situation. And then the incident at the um, at the parade, unnecessary violence, those kinds of things can be preventable. I'm not quite sure why people need to use guns to harm other people, but we have to address that. And then the violence that happened to the 14-year-old um, who had that pellet gun, that's also very, very sad because now we have a family that has to bury their son and their memorial is today. It's going to be today. I believe it starts at five o'clock. And then um, then we have a law enforcement that's involved in the shooting death of this young man. And when I think about that, I think about all the tools that a law enforcement officer has. They have that belt on them and they have I don't know, all the equipment that they have. I'm quite sure there's a billy club, if that's what they still call it, a taser gun, maybe some, I don't know. They have all kinds of other options, in my view. And plus, you have a 14-year-old, and then you have a a grown adult who's a police officer. Surely, uh, uh, there could have been other options besides that young man ultimately um, being shot and losing his life in that encounter. So all those things are very, very disturbing to me. And all the work that we do down at the Capitol, you know, we try to address these kinds of things. And when these kinds of things happen, policing, uh, 
this increased surge of uh, gun violence, you know, at this point, it's going to have to take a more integrative collective response from everyone to kind of help us address gun violence. So it just can't be a legislative fix. I totally agree. And the thing that makes me suspicious about the Aurora police is one, their record. We speak on the day that Minneapolis police have been found to have engaged in systemic bigotry against black people in Minneapolis, the Aurora Police have a horrible reputation right now. It's not enhanced to hire a guy as interim chief who, one, went on the Alex Jones show a few times, InfoWars, are you kidding me? The guy who said Sandy Hook was a hoax. And then he said this 14-year-old had, what, an automatic weapon? He maintained that for a week. And they said, oh, I found out it was a pellet gun. I mean, do you have confidence in the chief in Aurora? You know, I have some questions and I have some concerns. Um, and it's just the information is kind of murky that's coming out. I don't have a clear line of sight. Uh, I know that it's up to the district attorney to determine the justification and for them to do a complete and thorough investigation. Um, and so I don't have all the facts. All I know for sure, what I know for sure that I'm certain of is that we have this young boy, Jay, who is, that's his initials, um, who's dead and his mother is burying him. They're having a memorial today. That's a fact. And so at 14, that means he was in the eighth grade, completely the eighth grade. He was probably going on to high school. And so his promise, his potential and his future has been robbed um, from him by this encounter. And it's not even summer yet. And you've already outlined the, the amount of gun violence that we're seeing. So we have to have opportunities for our young people to be um, engaged in productive, inspiring kind of activities that are offered through our cities, through our business opportunities in reference to internships or hiring kids to work. But we have to do something. We just can't sit back and continue to not address the guy, the violence that I know that I'm seeing in my community. Right. And you're no adversary to the police. God knows you love a lot of them, the ones who solved the murder of Jabad and Vivian. Yes. And this yes. time of year, holy cow, we've talked about your support, my support of an assault weapon ban. I've dedicated a couple of these podcasts to exposing the truth about the June 10, 2020 murder of Isabella Thales and wounding of my client, Darian Simon, and the police not revealing the information that the assault weapon actually belonged to a Denver police sergeant until we brought it out. So it's important to bring out the truth and how much of this is when within various departments and then a shooting that really hit close to home for me is that one of my friends had bullets flying through her house, and that was you. Tell everybody yes. about that. That was a very frightening uh, situation. Uh, very fortunate and very blessed that I wasn't at home um, when the actual um, bullet shattered my front window. It went through my sh uh, front window, uh, shattered it, went through my shears went through my china cabinet and it lodged itself uh, in the wall. I have like a 
cathedral ceiling. So it was pretty high up and it ultimately landed in the wall and, and uh, crime scene investigators had to come out and pull it out of the wall. And so it traveled pretty far to do that kind of damage. And it was um, just very it's frightening to oh discover home is supposed to be your, your resting spot, your safe spot, you know, especially the work that I do when I come home, I want to relax and I want to just chill. And uh, there's a sense of fear that I have now just because I hear often the soundtrack of bullets just, mm. you know, going off. And, you know, we all get them around here. If you have a ring, I said, did you hear that? Uh, yeah, I heard it. Was it a firecracker? And you don't know. And I would see it. But, you know, I said, well, it's not going to hit me. Well, it did hit me. So when you hear the sound of gunfire, I'm telling people we need to be calling the police. So well, that we can when did this happen? When did this happen? This happened. This happened in February, mm -hmm. um, around February the 21st or the 20th, around that time. And so, and, and Aurora police responded. Did they have any way yes. of knowing if it was targeted or random? They're saying it was a stray bullet, mm. but I don't. I believe every bullet has a target and has an intent to do something. So that's their rationale. They are investigating it to see what they can discover through um, cameras that are out and about, and they do have some images of a car. And uh, but they're not able to read a license plate. But I can tell you that they've been actively trying to pursue it. Um, I they've taken it seriously. I just don't like the language that they're using to just say that it's a stray bullet or a random bullet. It, it gives the impression that I should be as a community member, even as a senator, that oh, it's just a stray bullet. Oh, it's just like the sun's rising. You know, it's just not to me. That's not. It's not cool. That's not good to have stray bullets in your community. Right. No kid, yeah. no family should be able to experience that. It's not, you know, that's serious. Horribly serious. Right in the heart of Aurora. A nice house in a nice neighborhood. And to have that happen, it's awful. I've already praised your strength and resilience. I have to tell you, that I've dealt with so many violent crime victims, everybody reacts differently. And some people just want to get away, right? Because there you are in Aurora. And what happened to your son and Vivian, who was going to be your beautiful daughter-in-law, that happened, I suppose, in unincorporated Arapahoe County, close enough. But really, the roots of this horrible June 20th murder of them, it also started around this time of the year because people are thinking about July the 4th. And you talked about how, hey, when you're driving, road rage could happen out of nowhere. I mean, Javad yep. was just, he was working a gig on the 4th of July. And just like somebody at the parade, I was there an hour earlier where that shot happened, 18th and Curtis. If I would have seen somebody get shot, then I would have been a witness. I would have given a statement. I might have been called. Yeah. Maybe the bad guy wouldn't like that. And right. tell, tell everybody how Javad, a beautiful, talented, gifted guy, CSU graduate to be, uh, what happened on that July 4th that led to all this? Yeah, my son um, used to... Um, I would call him like, you know, a music promoter type thing. He he was like 
interested in, in throwing parties. And so this was a July 4th um, party that he was um, promoting with a friend. And they were having a a, a contest, a, a, a rap contest. And so they had people rapping off like a competition. It was, then, a, it was a public park in Aurora, as I recall. Which yeah, one? Which a Lurry. Yeah. Lurry Park. Okay. And so um, this was probably around, still wasn't night or anything. I might say dust around 4, 35 o'clock. Someone rolls up. That would have been Robert Ray and Samario Owens. And they had a gun. One of Javad's uh, friends said, what are you doing bringing a gun to my party? He pulls the gun out. He shots him, shoots him dead. He falls back on his back. And then he shoots him two times more when he is... Uh, with his back down, face up, he shoots him more, two more times. Of course, people from the um, the park, uh, they just shatter all that. They just go all over the place. They scatter. Uh, Javad sees this. He runs towards um, his friend and then saw them running. He he runs towards them, gets as close as to the car and try to grab him. Of course, I'm quite sure this is a general and because, you know, he's trying to rush and get them. I'm quite sure he saw the gun. And um, after that, they do then police approach him and ask him if he could identify him. Kind of fast forwarding all this. Um they come over the house and they said, can you let's pitch your lineup photo book? Can you identify these guys? And uh, he looked through the book and he picked them out. And this is the guy right here. This is him. And so they were able to apprehend them and they were charged. And now uh, two of them are, are on. Uh, we don't have death row, so they're just in jail for the rest right. of their life, and the others are serving a long uh, sentence. Gosh, I, I hate to make you relive it, but I think it's important because guns are involved every inch of this, including the slaughter of your son and Vivian at that intersection, four-way stop, yes. June 20, 2005. But before then, as I did countless times as a prosecutor, I had a witness and he was concerned. He was threatened along the way. And the people he witnessed commit the murder of Gregory Ban. That's the name yes. of the victim, right? It was That's right. Uh, Sir Mario Owens and Robert Ray wanted to obstruct justice. Interesting right. term. It's in the news these days. They don't want to have a trial for murdering Gregory Ban. So they decided to kill the star witness. And they did it. And they did it with the aid of others. And one of them, yep. who was also charged with first-degree murder, but got convicted of a lesser charge, was this guy, Percy Carter. Am I right? That's right. Tell me about Percy Carter, what he did, and how you feel about that guy. Well, um, he was the adult. So he was the adult. So he was the surrogate father for Robert Ray. And so he taught Robert Ray and some Mario Owens and his sons, how to be criminals, basically drug dealers, you know, whatever they do, all the crime. He had them as their little foot soldiers to do his work. And so he would teach them, teach them how to traffic drugs and, you know, how to manage the money or whatever you do. But he was the mastermind that organized the ambush and the murder of my son and then told them how to get rid of the gun. So he was, you know, ultimately charged with conspiracy because he was the one that set it all up and told them how to do it. 
and he had been grooming and um, using his children and these young kids at that time, who knows what, how age that they um, started this, but that's what he was involved with. And as you know, he is out. He was out in community corrections and then the department of corrections released him with no supervision. And I am now his Senator. He lives within maybe three or four miles from me. Wow. How much time did he get sentenced to? I think it ended up being about 15 years. 15. Mm-hmm. So maybe a little less than that. I know it wasn't much because, you know, the trial, Javad was murdered in 2005. And by the time you get all the trial, who knows when he was actually sentenced, but he was released. This is 2023. He was out in 20, uh, 21, 20. 21, 21, something like that. I mean, he was only out for less than a year before he was released without supervision. Right. Community and so I'm really, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just really concerned about truth and sentencing because I think he was supposed to be doing like 36 years. I think right. he was supposed to get out in 30, 36. So, yes. but in our situation here, you can get earned good time. So if you're a good prisoner and you just eat your food and go to bed and you don't mess with anybody, you get so many days shaved off your sentence every month just by being well-behaved, which they use as population management. Right. There's no real truth in sentencing. And you've seen it from all sides. Now you make the law. You are a victim. It was disturbing. And I'll put in the show notes the KDBR story about how you were startled by the release of Carter. Nobody even told you. Was it the media who alerted you to it? I got a notice. I did get a notice in the in the mail, in the email, saying that he was um, up for early parole. And then that same day, I got another notice that says that they made the decision to um, release him with no supervision, all in the same day, probably within three or four hours. Of course, that gave me no time to create a safety plan for me and my family. I mean, we were like scrambling. Where is he at? What does he look like? You know, all those kinds of things. Um so I had to react. We, we changed the law since then. We were um, Governor Polis did change the law for victims notification that you can't release them and give them. They're not going to be eligible for early parole or discharge and then grant it the same day. You got to back it up so we can notify people that your offender is getting ready to come out and you need to take some kind of precautions if you're concerned. Gosh, it's, they, yeah, you, it's amazing. Yeah. Now. The other fiction that you had to endure, and my, you know, you know more about the criminal justice system than probably 95% of all legislators. There will be attorneys who have been in courtrooms more, but you followed every step of all these trials. And through some really hard work by some Arapahoe County prosecutors and brilliant police work by Gretchen Fronapple, right? Yes. And, yes. And we met her that morning that I met you. Really, maybe we and, and right after your son was killed, but they put it together and Sir Mario Owens and Robert Ray, the people responsible for shooting dead Javad and Vivian and Greg before that, death penalty was doled out. But then it was yes. Governor Hickenlooper and the chain of events that I described, and they're no longer on death row. 
But right. what have you been told about them? I don't want to even right. make you think about this, but what if they get out? How would you feel about that? Well, you know, what Hickenlooper did is he granted a stay. Um, and so when the new uh, governor came in, uh, he continued to stay. And then we had lawmakers decide that we want to um, repeal the death penalty all the all out. So it it gave them the option at this point the the uh, the governor signed the death penalty bill after it was after it passed out of the House and the Senate. So how did it make me feel? It made me feel once again that I, I was robbed of justice. When I was approached by the DA, it was Carol Chambers at the uh, at the time, along with the other mom, Vivian Wolf, not Vivian Wolf, Miss um, Wolf, Christine Wolf. Um, they approached us about them considering the death penalty. We were a part of those discussions. We agreed to it because they, Robert Ray and, and Owens, they were already serving time in jail for the murder of Gregory Van. And, and they kind of couched it the way I understood it is what is there left to do? They're already serving the maximum. And we are want to consider the death penalty. And I agreed. And so did uh, Miss Wolf, Christine Wolf. And so they went out and the DA, along as the prosecution, the defense counsel, they um, interviewed hundreds of people to sit as jurors on this case. And they selected them and they were all asked, are, are you capable of rendering a decision that would warrant the death penalty if they come back guilty? They all said yes. And they did this not once, but twice on two separate occasions, two different juries. And there's other people that were involved. I'm just talking about Robert Ray and Samari Owens. But at the end of the day, a lot of work went into this. And they built a case and they had a unanimous vote on both jurors. They came back, yes, that they're guilty for the crimes that were committed to the Javad and Vivian, a double homicide. And, and we believe it should be death. And then the judge says, he says, he authorizes it. And so you think it's a done deal. And then there was appeal after appeal and you won those two. That's right. And so at this point, you know, it's the law. It was the law when when it was sought way back in 2005, whenever the case started. But now that's not an option for no mom and no family. It doesn't matter how heinous the crime is. It doesn't matter how many victims it could be, 20, 22, 5, 8, 10. Everyone gets the same penalty at the maximum. So the maximum will always be life in jail um, without parole. And who knows if that might be modified at some point. It will be. I When I started, it was 20 years. And just before I started, they told me it was 10. So the pendulum swings back and forth. Um, right. And we can debate sentencing laws, etc. But there should be some truth involved. And I agree. I, and and the, the thing that's repulsive to me, and in my one death penalty case, the last time a Denver jury said death to you was to Frank Rodriguez, who was going to go to prison for life as a habitual criminal anyway, and thought there was no downside to committing another murder. And what upsets me is that it's like the killing of Javad and Vivian were for free because they right. they would have gone to jail anyway for the Greg Van murder. Anyway, um, 
you and I did not win on that argument, and uh, we did and, not, and and we accept that. And uh, I haven't seen that system abused in Colorado. It's probably been abused That's in true. other states and around the world. And if Donald Trump ever got to be president again, he would abuse the death penalty just as sure as he abuses everything he touches. But <laughs> I'm just wondering this, because I'm going to write an article because I follow gun crimes, murders. Usually I have uh, some involvement, like through you or otherwise, but I, I, I saw a crime spree up and down Colfax. I think about it started in Aurora. I know it was on East Colfax, and it culminated with the murder of an 18-year-old Shmuel Silverberg, and it was a gang of young punks, uh, kind of like we're talking about the murder of your son. They're uh, teenagers, and yet they have guns. They're shooting people dead. And Beth McCann had a decision to make about what the appropriate sentence is. And I don't want to bring you down or think about something that may never happen, but what if somebody said, you know what, Sir Mario Owens and Robert Ray, you can be released now. Uh, you've done your time. It's 2030. Uh, have a good life, like they did with Mr. Carter. I mean, what would you feel? How would you react? I would do all of I, I can to make sure the, the state honors the, the, the commitment that they made. And the commitment was they made, okay, you went from, you know, death penalty to life in jail. They will never get out. They will never get out. And so um, then I would do all I could to make them honor what is supposed, what's on paper, if I could. And just to remind people that this is our criminal justice system. You can do it to, you know, maybe it can happen to someone else in reference to how you charge people. But these people have already been charged the maximum that the state could allow because of the, the circumstances that surrounded the, the murder of them trying to undermine our criminal justice system. And if for them to now just say all of a sudden, we're going to erase that and let you go uh, free for whatever reason the rationale would be, then that just kind of is telegraphing to people that it doesn't matter what the crime is, even if it is undermining uh, law enforcement or policing or whatever, um, there's a way out for you. If you're willing to commit uh, the crime and do that time. So I would be very troubled and upset about that. And because um, my son was loved, he meant something to me and my family. And he's been cheated and robbed of all of that. And that shouldn't give him the opportunity to get out of jail free for whatever rationale would be um, used to do that. I would not be happy with that decision. Right. And you have chosen to stay in our community, be a leader. I think you could be mayor of Aurora if that's what you want. But Denver <laughs> and Aurora need a lot of improving. They do. And the biggest thing I would say, these gun crimes, the national spotlight on us, and uh, we ruin it with more shootings every time. And we've had Columbine and Boulder, Aurora Theater Massacre, so we couldn't even really celebrate the Nuggets victory. And damn it, I used to have something to do with this. And Bill Ritter and I ran against each other for Denver DA, but we were united in combating gun crime. 
and we were tough on gun crime. And the legislature where you serve has given us maximum ammunition, mandatory sentencing, mandatory consecutive time. But it doesn't do a damn thing if you don't use it. So when I saw this 20-year-old who chased Shmuel Silverberg on a movie I had to watch, and he tried to get in the door, and he fumbled with the coat, and he got shot. And just as you described with the murder of Greg Van, they kept shooting. This guy, mm. Noah Lep Hall, kept shooting. And this was about his 15th crime in the last several wow. days, okay? And several of them violent crimes, including shootings that left people paralyzed. And mm. I never saw a more dramatic presentation. I was ready to say, 500 years, Your Honor. And I wondered what it would be. And then there was a stipulated sentence of 65 years. And I thought, oh, my God, 65 years when first-degree murder is supposed to carry life in prison without parole and these other crimes could be 500 years? I thought, boy, I wouldn't have done that if I was the DA. All you have to do is push the play button and show the jury what this guy did. So many of these crimes were caught on video. I don't know, Rhonda. Thanks for letting me get that off my chest. But how does that strike you? Because when you're mayor of Aurora, you're going to have to go to the DA in Adams County and the DA in Arapahoe County and say, we're going to work together on this, aren't we? Right? Absolutely. It has to be collaboration because we all want the same things. I think DAs and, and superintendents and and business owners and chief of police and all of us want to live in a safe community, and we have to all take some kind of effort to make sure that we get to that place and then hold people accountable for their wrongdoings. We, right. we just have to we yeah. just have to do better. And Zero tolerance. Better. Zero tolerance. Yeah, we understand the teenage brain's not fully formed, but if you use a gun in Aurora, Denver, sorry, we don't care about that, Sir Mario, Robert. We just, we, we don't care about that. And you... Anyway, back to this gun, <laughs> this gun issue. Not only have you had to put up with that shooting in February, but how many years ago was it that you got threatened when you were in the state house because you introduced some gun laws and a guy named yeah. Franklin Sane threatened you, got arrested by the Denver DA, yeah. prosecuted by was yeah. it Mitch at the time? Yeah, Mitch Morrissey, I think, was the DA. But Henry Cooper was the chief deputy. Gosh, Henry mm -hmm. and I played a lot of ball together. And I met a prosecutor I don't think I'd met before, Courtney Johnston, who is mm -hmm. wife of Mike Johnston. Is that the first time you met her? Uh, that, that, uh, I can't recall. I can't recall when I first met her, but I, I that scenario happened in 2013 because 2013 is when we ran a series. I think it was five or six different uh, gun reform measures. And one of them was to limit the capacity, capacity, you know, on right. the magazine. And we also did closing the universal, uh, you know, gun show. We did gun show. That, that's the stuff that John Morris, John Morris led on that, right? And that's when he suffered a right. recall. Right. Right. And so that was 2013. And of course, there was uh, a lot of uh, people that didn't like the, the legislation and they stormed the, the, the Capitol. We saw a lot of activity. 
around the Capitol. And then that's when the threats came. We, and it wasn't just me. We all, I got some really bad threats, but we were all somewhat threatened and, and intimidated by phone, by uh, voicemail, um, by email, stairs, intimidation. We had heightened security at the Capitol because people were like really thinking that we were trying to to take their guns away. And all we were trying to do is to put in measures to reduce access to guns, like a background check and just say, you can't have a 150 bullets in a chamber or in a, on a round that we're going to keep it down to, you know, 15. And so remind me how you became aware of Franklin saying the guy who threatened you was a, le- a letter mailed to you. Where did it arrive? Yeah, it was an email. Uh, My staff was just really shaken by the tone they were hearing and what they were reading. And um, it got to the point that we shared the emails to State Patrol. State Patrol um, started to investigate um, the emails and they were able to locate him. He was in Colorado Springs or and was able, he was at work and he was what jumping servers, sending these threatening emails and they found them and they arrested him and he was embarrassed. Right. And he was charged and he had to appear in court and it was on TV. And so once all that happened, the volume of all the noise that we were experiencing, it went way down. And in fact, the legislation that we, we um, passed, we got very little threats. The activity was not as strong because there's a different narrative of support from Moms and Man Action and Colorado Ceasefire and Everytown and Brady Campaign and just all these other folks that are now more mindful about how we need to reduce gun violence. So there's much more heightened awareness. And it was it was still difficult to pass it, but the resistance wasn't as fierce as it was in 2013. And we were able to get that those measures passed, even civil liability against a gun manufacturer. We were able to get that done. Yeah, you can use the civil system, as we proved with Franklin saying, to our dismay, the DA's That's office right. was going to give a deferred judgment and slap on the wrist to the guy. And we could talk about that, but then we filed a civil action. And Darned if he didn't end up making a big contribution uh, to the the Wolf Fields Foundation, which does a lot of good work for the community. And he uh, he did end up apologizing, going through counseling, but he avoided an incarceration. I I picked up the paper today. I guess I looked at it online, but did you see somebody got eighteen months for threatening Lauren Boebert via tweet? No, I did not see that. Yes, yes. And it really wasn't much different than your case, but it got handled by the feds. And and I thought that was really something, the the, the double standard. Now, we've also seen it taken seriously. Uh, Jenna Griswold got threatened, and that guy also got a similar amount of time. So I I was just wondering, as you see people uh, threatened, public officials, uh, you experienced that. What What's the right response? Is it again, you know, make an example of them so that it won't happen again? I don't know. You tell absolutely. me. Uh, absolutely. It makes a difference. People need to know that we do have uh, we're a, a society that's created by laws and there's some things you just can't do. 
you, you just can't intimidate and threaten people. Like with me, they said there's going to be lots of blood and there's going to be lots of bullets and we're coming after your daughter. Mm-hmm. God. And, you know, that w- that's just one example. But there's some things you just can't say. And if you do say them, then they're going to be investigated. And and every anyone who's threatened needs to report it to law enforcement because you never know when that threat might uh, uh, turn into an actual carry through of whatever they're complaining they're going to do. If I'm going to kill you or if I'm going to do this, you know, eventually if they want to, they're going to carry it through. So the best thing that anyone can do is to report it and let the authorities take um, charge of the situation and just not try to handle it yourself and not try to be dismissive. That's what happened to Javad. He was thinking he was man enough. I can handle this. And he never shared that he was threatened. And so, you know, if I if I could do everything all over again, I would be asking, well, son, are you getting threatened? Is Are you feeling good? Is everything all right? Mm-hmm. I never had a chance to um, ask those questions and he never responded to them because I never asked. But we need to take every threat serious and we should never minimize threats because you never know when somebody might carry it through. Right, and we all feel under threat with the proliferation of guns, and some people take and it hate. seriously. Yeah, and hate, and some people take it seriously, some people don't. John Moran just got suspended for 25 games. His second incident being pictured with a gun, the first one at Shotgun Willie's in unincorporated Rappahoe County, and now he, he was shown on Instagram again just with a gun in his hand. And I think John Morant works for a company, and uh, I, I'm i in favor of, uh, you know, get rid of these guns. But at the same time, there's Lauren Boebert on her Christmas card with her kids and her soon-to-be ex-husband, all with big assault weapons in their hands, and nothing happens to them other than get elected in Colorado's third district. I mean, doesn't it feel like a dual system of justice? You know, a young black guy can't have a gun, but oh, this white lady can. Oh, it's disgusting. And for someone to think that you could do a card like that and just think that that's going to help someone feel like they're going to have a Merry Christmas. <laughs> I mean, who would want to receive a card like that? What would make you want to do that? It's just really bizarre and strange that you would want to promote the holidays with these assault weapons like that, with your babies and giving the impression that these guns are in your home and, uh, and they're not stored. It's just, it just, you know, it just doesn't seem normal, but I've seen it in other lawmakers doing it. So it must be a trend. You'll never see anything like that from me and my family. <laughs> no, no, but uh, it's, it's brought on by Trumpism. And I, I just, you're my go-to on a lot of issues. You've been so generous with your time. But I'm scared to death about Trumpism and the bigotry that goes along with it and the dual system of justice. We've been talking about that how you should have zero tolerance for certain kinds of crimes. And that, to me, is Donald Trump kind of crimes because he's been a traitor to America. These latest allegations are as serious as a heart attack. There's more to come. Clearly, he was the ringleader of January 6th. 
people have been sentenced to significant time, and he should be one of them. But can America handle it, Rhonda Fields, or should we just let him go? No, we we, we can handle it. Um, we can handle it. So um, he's been charged, and uh, bring the trial on. It might take some time, but eventually um, we'll get through all of the all of the cases that he has pending. Yes. And, uh, and I believe he that, can uh, call uh, Alvin uh, Bragg and Bonnie Willis. What do you think when he calls those African American prosecutors racist? That they're doing it because they're the racists. That's chutzpah, huh? I mean, holy cow. Yeah. He's he's a he's small minded. And it doesn't it's not gonna do anything to help his cause. He should try to be silent. Uh, you know, if I was him, I would he's incapable is getting him in trouble. He's incapable. Well, your mouth has not gotten you in trouble because your announcement of running for mayor of Aurora, I think, is well timed. <laughs> it's perfect. I am not running for mayor. You know, when, the when does election. It, but it's, that, it's November. It's, it's November of this year. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty short um, Yeah, and we do have a couple of uh, Democrats that are running, and um, I believe Mike Kaufman is running again. I don't know if he's announced yet. But um, I know that we do have two uh, Democrats that are running. Um, How do you do it? How do you keep up your energy? I looked it up, and we're the same age, roughly. And uh, I am. But it's probably the excitement of making a difference, right? Going to meet the vice president, stuff like that. Yeah, you just have to live a good life, I guess. You are living a good life. You've given me a great program. Episode 153, Rhonda Fields. It's good to know that I'm your lawyer for all time. Now, don't get in trouble, okay? I won't. I know you won't. You're the best, Rhonda. Thanks again. Tell Kamala that Craig says hello. Okay, I will. Ramona, I'll talk to you very soon. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Michael Bailey, a friend a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined. It's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form 
and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaeldailylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. war on drugs has never been more serious. There are killer substances out there, including fentanyl. If God forbid you know somebody or a loved one of yours has been affected by fentanyl, perhaps my law firm could help. Sometimes there's justice in the criminal court system, other times civil justice. My number 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. Ask for Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hello, Troubadour Dave Gunders. Good to see you, Craig, as always. Great to see you. Put together another award-winning show. What a week it has been. I have seen things that I never thought I'd see. Not just the Nuggets winning the NBA title, but you felling over it. You have jumped on the bandwagon. You could have come to the parade with me, but I got the kick listening to you describe the excitement to your daughters out of town. Uh, I, it is. It's very exciting. In some ways, more exciting than a, than a Super Bowl because it's never been done. Correct. In, in the city of Denver. I got a kick out of it. I took my bike down, rode around the parade. I don't know. Maybe you could have come with me, but I don't think you could have kept up. You told me you felt like you'd be jumping on the bandwagon. Yes, I I felt a little, I'd feel a little bit sheepish, I'd, I'd say, attending the rally. It's a big month in other respects. This week, oh my gosh, to see Donald Trump arrested like that, read his rights, the arraignment of Donald Trump in federal court. Something There's something happening here. And what it is ain't exactly clear. Well, <laughs> that's Steve Stills. And I also thought of the Bob Dylan song when you said there's something happening. And, 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 there's something happening here. and We don't know what it is. Do we, Mr. Jones? Remember that there's one? That. I'm thinking yeah. of the line, step out of the step out of line, right. the man comes and right. takes you away. Right. That's Steve Stills, right, for what it's worth. Great right. song. Great song. Anyway, I think something's happening. I know about criminal justice system. They've laid some heavy charges on him. Jack Smith is coming with more, and it's just a confluence of events. June, Pride Month, Juneteenth coming up. You lived in Texas for a while. Remember what Juneteenth is about? Well, in in relationship to, to Texas? I think it's when the uh, people in Texas got word that the North had won the Civil War and the slaves got liberated there. I didn't know it was really it was a, a Texas story. Yes. Okay. I think so. But it's really a story of freedom. 
Even as uh, the Tree of Life synagogue verdict came down today, guilty, of course, now it goes to a death penalty decision, and we shall see what happens. And uh, if they don't dole out the death penalty, it would be a lot like the Aurora Theater Massacre, where that killer did not receive what I thought was an appropriate punishment. A lot of death penalty talk this show. Rhonda Field's a part of it, too. Anyway... I just think the federal death penalty may be in jeopardy if this guy doesn't get it in Pittsburgh. Horrible event. And, uh, you know, by a guy stirred up by Donald Trump rhetoric. Yeah, I mean, as far as the death penalty, you know, nothing can ever really, when you think of it, whether it's life in prison or, or death, right, to the to the murderer, Um Nothing will ever really in some some course, some acts there is no justice. Right, but we're talking about punishment. I know. I so know. you are a father. You had to dish out punishment. How did you go about it? I'm not saying you have. It was both. never corporal. No, but there are degrees of things, and uh, you know it's just. I, I'm dealing with it a lot. I'm going to write a column about it. I think that Beth McCann's leniency as DA in Denver, has led to a lot of proliferation of crime. We had the attitude that if we were tough on it, then the message would get out. There are some things you have to punish harshly, especially murder, especially gun crimes, because we can't tolerate that in our communities. I agree. No, I agree. What good is the law if, if you don't uphold it and, and, and relate what the consequences would be? Right. But on the other hand, then there there is the argument that when it comes to these kinds of crimes, that uh, the um, uh, the the consequence of their actions may not even be in their mind at the time they pick up arms I and know decide to slay people. Right. Right. But the word has to get out there, just as we all get deterred by fears of consequences. Right. Right. If you get burned, some people have to know. Rational people Denver's are deterred. Denver's not the place to bring a gun. Right. For a long time, New York City had that reputation because they cracked down on it. They had special laws against it. You can make gun crime diminish in your community, but not if you go light on people who commit murder. No. Now, I don't know what the right punishment is for murder. That's kind of a philosophical thing, right? Uh, you know why they had so many death penalties back in the day, the Old Testament days? Death penalty for this day, death penalty for gay relations. That's Stonings. Part of well, yes. they probably didn't have much in the way of prisons. Exactly. Yeah. They were kind of nomadic. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you slept with my wife? We're going to have to kill you now, you know? And my wife. And my wife, because we can't travel with you guys anymore. And we don't have the means to jail you while we're traveling. Right. That's very true. I know, but it's still pretty barbaric. Well, yes, in some ways more barbaric. Well, it was. I mean, the Old Testament, justice meted out. Speaking of justice. Brutal. This case gets assigned to a MAGA judge appointed without much in the way of qualifications. She's had like two weeks of trials. I mean, if I had a fancy house like Mar-a-Lago and I wanted to hire a remodeler like you... I would hope that you had more than two weeks' experience. But now we have the biggest case in American history given to a rookie with no experience and a total devotion to Donald Trump. What could go wrong in America? 
in some ways, maybe that's not such a bad thing because that Trump, because that judge rather, I think when faced with the evidence is going to make a ruling and that ruling will carry more weight if it's a MAGA, if Rabbi it's a Trump appointed judge. She already ruled twice in his favor and had to get slapped down. Well, maybe the third time's the charm. Maybe. That's why they have lifetime appointments, those federal judges. Right. Her name, Eileen Cannon. Can I tell you two quick stories about when I was a prosecutor and faced hostile judges? Three, really. First horrible case I had, Wilding. Bunch of juvenile perpetrators were ringing the bells in gentrified communities. Homeowner would answer. They'd bum rush in. They'd tie up the husband, rape the wives, take all the property. We had to transfer them to adult court. And it was going to be in front of Alvin Lichtenstein, who was really liberal. I mean, way out there liberal. And I was scared to death, but he got in trouble for the Clarence Burns case, a sentencing where he said that uh, some spousal killing was sort of okay. I don't know, but he got removed from the bench, thank God. Another case. Thanks for asking questions there, but that was interesting. Judge Warren O. Martin was one of the most lenient sentencers in the history of Denver District Court. And I had a bunch of juvenile murderers in front of him. And three of them committed first degree. This was a girl organized teenagers to go kill her ex-boyfriend and his new girlfriend. And they all did it. And they got convicted of first degree murder and got live sentences. Since reduced by the United States Supreme Court because they were too young. They were like 17 at the time. And that's the new rule. Cheryl Armstrong, who organized it all, somehow the jury came back second-degree murder, two counts of it. I was really upset because it was in front of Judge Martin. He could have given her as little as like 10 years, 10 years, instead of the life sentence that I sought. And I was demanding 48 years on each count, the maximum. Most lenient judge by decades of reputation, I'd been in front of him. I had a big speech. He said, sit down, Mr. Silverman. I don't need to hear from you. I heard the trial. He was offended by her so much, maybe like Eileen Cannon will be by Trump, that he said, young lady, 96 years. And she got sentenced to 96 years. But somehow she got released, which shouldn't be the case. She should have served half of it. I haven't been gone that long. But that's what happens. Then one more thing, Donnie next door, who was a juvenile offender, turned 18, asked his next door neighbor in Montbello if he could borrow her phone. Their phone was out. She said, sure. He came in. He attacked her. He raped her. And then he tried to kill her every which way. He tried to strangle her. He tried to stab her to death. He tied her up, put her in a storage room, set her house on fire. She busted out. After, wow. Oh, and she wrote on the little storage room wall, Donnie next door in her wow. own blood. Wow. And she managed to get out. They're making a movie out of it. I got that's, interviewed that's last good week. Mo- right. Movie fodder right and there. And I said, No deals for you. No. Donnie no. Russell was his name. Wow. And uh, Judge Steve Phillips was the judge, and he was very much liberal. He did not like to give harsh sentences. He gave 118 years to Donnie Russell. Daylene Collier survived. She's still a friend of mine, Facebook friend too. 
And I'm just saying, which goes with your point about Eileen Cannon, that sometimes a judge will surprise you. Right, right. But will a MAGA judge surprise you? I guess we'll see. Those uh, That could be a cult uh, situation. Thanks for listening to me say all that. I uh, I don't know if you heard. Do you know who died today? This Friday when we're taping this? Nope. Daniel Ellsberg. Oh, okay. Do you remember what he did? Sure. He was the priest during the... No, the... no. You're thinking Daniel Berrigan. Think again. Ellsberg. Yeah, Ellsberg. During the Chicago 8 trials. No, Daniel Ellsberg. He was the guy who was working for Rand Corporation. Now, he's an Ashkenazi Jew by DNA, but he's a Christian scientist because his parents became Christian scientists, grew up in Chicago. I think he went in the Marines, then he worked for the Rand Corporation, and he saw secret papers, classified papers about Vietnam, and he leaked them, the Pentagon okay. Papers. The Pentagon Papers. Right. He was the source, right. Right, he okay. was the source, okay. and then he got prosecuted. First, he was a fugitive. Walter Cronkite found him. But he's he was kind of charged with what Trump just got charged with, and his defense is, I'm trying to save the country. Right. That sort of thing. And uh, eventually, he never went to jail. And he just died. He got involved in a lot of other interesting things. Vietnam, man, uh, the history on that, you know, the reevaluation of our country. Like the WikiLeaks, like the WikiLeaks yes. more, more recently. And Ellsberg supported those guys, mm -hmm. like Edward Snowden mm -hmm. and... Are it's they Snowden whistleblowers? Still on, still on, yeah, they're whistleblowers. That's right. Snowden, you know, those guys who get in bed with Putin, that's pretty big tell for me. Well, it was a, it was a refuge for him. Yes. He fled the country. And you know that Tara Reid, remember who she is? She said she got sniffed by Joe Biden, who does like to sniff women, and he's a little odd, like some older guys are. But she made a big deal about it. It was down in New Mexico. She turns up to now be a Russian citizen living under Putin control. Oh. So all along, I think Putin's been aimed at Joe Biden. And can I just say this? Because I watched him at a big gun conference today. Biden? Yeah, right after I interviewed Rhonda Fields. And we were talking about guns. And Biden's in Connecticut okay. with a bunch of uh, victims of how, gun crimes. How was he? Fantastic. On top of his game, energized. This Good. is his baby. Kind of, yeah. you see, in my studio, I have pictures from the 90s when I was involved in gun control. Biden was the king of that in the Senate. He got the assault weapon banned. Right, in he the 90s. He quotes Mandela. You know, he says it always seems impossible until you do it, right? right? Until right. the change happens. They know I have to shave in the morning. <laughs> So they'll tape on the mirror for real. So I could see when I was shaving. One day she left me a quote from Immanuel Kant, who wrote that finding happiness and peace of mind when it seems impossible can be done. He said, you need something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. Something to do was to fulfill the promise I made to my son Bowen and my family and your families, and you've made too, that I would not retreat from public life in the sadness that I felt afterwards, that I'd stay engaged to solve problems. Someone to love, my family, my kids, my grandkids, and something to hope for. 
all of you survivors and advocates have built real movement with something to hope for. Something to hope for. That your collective trauma and injuries are not going to be in vain. That your friend, your family member, your loved one did not die in vain. That by acting in their memory, you can prevent the next tragedy. You can save life. You can save families. In the process, you can continue to save the country. Aren't you sick of these gun crimes? Right. That was a, that was a, of course. I mean, it's, it's too much to even believe, but they're happening all the time. I mean, they'll continue to happen. I mean, even, even if we, even if we ban the assault weapons, which would be a great start. Right. But there's so many darn weapons out there, Craig. But we have to start. That's I why agree. I love your song, because this is prototypical Dave Kunder's song, because you are optimistic. You get up with a smile on your face, you try to make it a happy world, and you try to set the tone. So we can think about all our troubles and travails, and there are many. And when people suffer a loss, like Rhonda Fields suffered, it's immeasurable. That's the group that Joe Biden was talking to. But they find a way to set a new tone, to carry on. Right. Joe Biden spoke about this so beautifully today. He understands loss. And I think he's a good man. And to get through this, he has set the right tone on all these prosecutions of Donald Trump. Stay out of it. He is out of it. Jack Smith has this. Let the chips fall where they may. If things were getting fixed, then this... Eileen Cannon would not be the judge. But uh, right. anyway. Exactly. I love this song. You know why? You know how it starts? You know what I envision? Uh, no, it brings something, a vision to mind. Yes, a cowboy on a horse coming into town. Because <laughs> of the lick. It's kind of a lopey lick. And then is that Johnny Nail with the fiddle on this? Yeah, it's Johnny. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it's like your wise old narrator, the cowboy, grizzled cowboy, seen it all before. Yeah, I guess that's right. Right. And you're saying, hey, set the tone. And that's what, you know, that's what I love about Joe Biden, who's a good man. And it's part of QAnon, by the way, to say that he's so old, he's decrepit. Watch this guy. He gave a better speech than Trump could on his best day. Not that he doesn't have speech impediments. Not that he's not impaired by getting older. He makes jokes about that, too. We're all getting impaired to a degree. But Joe Biden is a good man. And it's part of QAnon to belittle him as some guy who is being controlled by others. He's got a lot of wisdom. He has a ton of experience. I agree. And there's his record in office, which I think is has been exemplary. I mean, he's gotten past more than anyone really had anticipated. Right. Yeah. And he made right. these people laugh while they're talking about the death of their loved ones, their friends, their family. He made them laugh a couple times because he just has that kind of a touch like your song does. Set the tone. You know, the bad thing happened. Now we're going to move forward. Right. If we can hold Donald Trump responsible for what he did, and hopefully the cult will peel away as the curtain is taken back from the wizard. We'll see about that. Uh, I yeah, hope so. That's a big leap. That's a big leap. Yes. I think your song is motivational, and then you have an eagle in the sky, 
and you and I have taken to playing a little golf, and the best birdie we've seen so far is that red-tailed hawk yeah. on number 14. Beautiful. It was the best part of, of my day, and I'm still apologizing to well, you. Well, that explains for... why you look up. You're looking up to see the hawk. Huh? <laughs> All right. Well, we let's let's hope the hawks are walking on the ground. <laughs> yeah, let's time. hope the hawks aren't looking at us, you know, because <laughs> I'll see some things we don't want them to see. But it's fun. When you put an eagle in the song, does that make it special? It does. Everybody, I give to you Troubadour Dave Gunners with his special song called Set the Tone, a positive tone. Let's get things done. Let's improve the world, right, Troubadour? I'm with you, Craig. Set the Tone, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
Michael, of course, is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep, and I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887, or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey, thank you. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. Craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Hey, I told you this was going to be good. And I delivered again. Please tell your friends. Subscribe. Share this episode, perhaps. Any nice comments and five stars would be most appreciated. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.